Welcome to Anna Sandela here on a Thursday. Alex Margulies and uh, Chris Murray joining me um, behind the scenes. We've got Anthony Resnick as, as always, uh, directing from uh, from remote locations unknown to all of us. Uh, busy show. Uh, we're going to have uh, Chris Hoff joining us from the Barracuda Championship. The PGA Tour has announced when the Barracuda will be played up at Old Greenwood. We're going to kick that around. Matt Babcock, former NBA agent turned and now player evaluator, going to Tell us what he thinks of Jalen Harris. Has some high ranks on the Nevada soon-to-be senior guard who has declared for the NBA draft. And Tim LeCastro going to talk just some pure hitting with us. And, of course, bet or no bet. Uh, always a lot of fun to, uh, to throw that around as well. But, uh, guys, to start things off, I saw this last night on social media. And it's not surprising, Drew Scaleri, the uh, quarterback over at Bishop Minogue High School, uh, has received his first offer. And it better be from from the University of Nevada because his grandpa is Chris Alt. Alex, I mean, come on! If if you're uh, if you're Nevada, you you got to make the Hall of Fame coach happy. <laughs> and it, you know what? Despite the fact that the relationship with Coach Alt, I mean, Drew Scalari is a very talented kid, and, and he's definitely earned uh, to to get this scholarship offer. He's had playing time since a very young age at Bishop Minogue High School. He's been in a lot of big games, uh, and you've seen a big progression from him over the years uh, under. Uh, Ernie Howard and, and you can see the arm you can see the intelligence you can see the football IQ and I, I think it's really exciting the prospect of someone like him staying home and, and playing in northern Nevada yeah I, I think uh, Alec makes a great point there Chris uh, the fact that you're you're tied to someone with the name Chris Alt uh, some people might go oh well that's the reason why no he got the scholarship and he's going to get other scholarships from you know Mountain West and you know Pac-12 is going to come sniffing he deserves this honor yeah, I mean, he certainly is deserving of a, an FBS offer. And this is a six foot two kid. He is pretty skinny, but he's got good size. Uh, you know, he's been a two year starter as a sophomore and junior at Minogue. He's led them to two regional championships, one of them over Cade McNamara, quarterback who's uh, went on to Michigan, uh, led to him to a, a state championship game as a sophomore. This is a guy who has completed 64% of his passes as a starter, uh, you know, uh, accounted for almost 5,000 yards and 62 touchdowns. And that is as a sophomore and a junior, he hasn't even played that senior season where people really explode. Uh, my curiosity is, is, does football end up being his sport in college? He's a very, very good baseball player as well top 10 recruit in 2021 class out of the state of Nevada is an outfielder for the minors there's been some discussions as he end up going and playing for his uncle John Savage over at UCLA so uh, nice that he's able to kind of secure this first scholarship offer and like you said probably more to come down the road because uh, an exceptional football IQ obviously I think it's going to be hard uh, if he's going to play football to, to pull him away from Nevada this is a guy who at age eight uh, was in the Nevada locker room uh, the game after Nevada beat Boise State in 2010, celebrating with Colin Kaepernick and Vitawa and Dante Moke and all of those guys. So uh, it just seems like a per uh, a perfect fit. And I think uh, Nevada is probably going to need two quarterbacks in this 2021 class. So, you know, giving one to Drew and potentially being able to secure a really good local commit, I think would be a big deal for Jay Norvell and his team. Uh, that's why I think we need to see, I would love to be a fly on the wall of a Zoom meeting going on between Jay Norvell and TJ Bruce. And, <laughs> Coach Norvell going, well, you can let him play baseball, can't you? And you know, hey, why not? <laughs> let him play two sports. It hasn't happened in a while at Nevada. Why not? Uh, Lita Otuafi. Uh, the Otuafi name goes back a long way when it comes to athletics in northern Nevada. She's a Churchill County High School graduate, 5'11", guard forward, uh, committed last night to Amanda Levins and Nevada. So after a doom and gloom kind of end of the season, Alex, uh, we're, see we're starting to see some, some recruits commit to Nevada women's basketball. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that we're seeing another local coming back home. Uh, Otuafi went and played in junior college, had a great high school career out in Fallon, and, and now to be able to inject some kind of local flavor into that program, you love to see it. And this is somebody that's not only 
going to play. I mean, we've seen over the last few years, local girls come in and, and uh, you know, there aren't really a, playing in a starring role, but I think Otuafi can come in and, and, and become a starter on this team. And I think she's being recruited as, you know, someone that can give this team meaningful minutes. So I think that's exciting to have a local that's going to come in and actually really contribute to this basketball team. Uh, Kenna Holt is another one that, that's going to come in as a freshman next year. Not sure what, what her plans are and how she's progressing, but there's, a, you know, two locals right off the bat there for Amanda Levins. Now, good week, uh, Chris, for Amanda Levins, uh, picking up a 6-2 forward center uh, who is a formerly of the Czech, uh, Czech Slovakia, Czech Republic, and now uh, Otuavi. 5-11 at a guard in women's basketball. That, that's still a big guard. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, positions of need that she's adding. And, I mean, at, at the point where they lost six of those players into the transfer portal, they had nine scholarships available of the 15 that they're allowed in the sport. So they've had to add some players, and they've gotten some quality players. You never know how a player is going to adjust going from JUCO to the Division One level. But, um, you know, she played really, really well this last year. I mean, as a freshman, 13.7 rebounds, she can pass the ball really well. And she's a winner. I mean, she was on three state championship teams. Uh, you know, with Churchill County. I think if you can get a winner's DNA into your program, that can do nothing but good things. And she's a very skilled player as well. So I think she can give them some presence on the inside. She's shown the ability that she can hit some threes. So she's playing the perimeter a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, always good to add a local, especially a talented local. And, uh, you know, she had to go out later and prove that she could be a good junior college player before getting that Division One scholarship. And, and that's what she did last year. And she did it in only one year. A lot of these JUCO players, they spend two years at that level. She's going to have three years of eligibility at Nevada. And like Alex said, would not be a shock to see if she was starting next year. She's certainly going to get a lot of minutes and the opportunity um, to show that she deserves to be in the starting lineup. You make a great point there. One, you can't replace somebody being a winner and understanding that's part of their culture. Two, she's a local. She was offered the scholarship and she pounced on it. She wants to be here. And that's to me, when it comes to fans, you want somebody who wants to play at Lawler Event Center. If you're somebody who's a local and you grew up liking playing for the University of Nevada as a possible option, I can't find anything better than that. Uh, one last thing here in our first uh, segment before we move on, guys. You know, it seems like so many businesses are trying to give back. We saw our friends at Bentley Heritage Distillery down in Gardnerville. They've turned into, you know, they're create, are making uh, hand sanitizer and donating that. Reno Aces, a couple of their season ticket holders, have taken unworn jerseys and sewn them into masks. And they are going to be for sale at the Reno Aces store. Alex, this once again just shows how this community wants to give back. And I'm sorry. That's a pretty cool piece of memorabilia. Well, it's neat, too. I mean, there was a, a couple of season ticket holders actually sewed these by hand. They made 193 of them. And, and yeah, you can buy them right now online. They're 20 bucks. They look really cool. They're made with with uh, Aces jerseys. And, and uh, you know, you can protect yourself. And, and 100% of those proceeds are going to go to support our local hospital system uh, all across the region. So I think it's a really neat deal. And you know, a fun thing to, to kind of have and, and something a little bit different than your, your average mask that you could be wearing around to have something that's a, an actual jersey that's pretty unique. Uh, Chris, we're having better now, Bet, later in the show. Bet, would you buy one of these? Oh, sure. I mean, you, safety first, but fashion is, is important too. You see a lot of these masks and they need to be fashionable. And I, I can't think of a much better thing than using a jersey and then representing the Aces. So uh, 100% uh, all in on that one. Uh, that's a bet for me. All right, busy show here today on NSN Daily. Coming up after the break, talk about the Barracuda Championship. PGA Tour has announced when the championship and the PGA Tour will roll through Northern California this time because it will be at Old Greenwood just outside of Truckee. We'll have that much more coming up on NSN Daily here on your Thursday. Welcome back to NSN Daily, rolling on here on your Thursday. And uh, you know what? A lot of us have uh, had to kind of adjust, roll with the punches over just the last few months. Uh, joining us right now, a good friend of the program who's had to roll with the punches for 
I'm going to say seven or eight months, if not uh, longer <laughs> than that, since an announcement was made late last summer. Uh, Chris Hoff, tournament director of the Barracuda Championship. Chris, uh, some good news this morning. I'll let you make the announcement. Yeah, definitely some good news. It's been a, uh, a roller coaster of a few months, as you as you talked about. Um, you know, the tour has been uh, canceled or postponed now for for quite a few weeks. Uh, last week, they kind of announced a uh, revised major championship schedule, and this morning, the PGA Tour followed suit and announced that uh, they're intending to come back to tournament play uh, second week of June. And with everything shifting around the cancellation of the Olympics, um, we have been shifted about three and a half weeks to uh, now the last week of July, start of August, July 27 through August 2. So uh, we're excited about that. We're, we're excited to bring PJ Tour Golf back to our region. And uh, we're, we're excited for, uh, for play to resume, as I'm sure everybody else is. What does it mean to you that they did keep this, uh, you know, event still on the calendar? Yeah, a little bit later, but they didn't, you know, uh, cut it off the chopping block completely. You know, it, it, it says a lot both about uh, the tournament players love coming to this region. Um, it says a lot about Barracuda Networks. Not all tournaments, um, you know, survive both uh, before the pandemic and after. So we're we're fortunate about that. And, and we're, we're a little more excited because now, uh, the week after us is the PGA Championship in San Francisco. So um, I think there's a great opportunity for uh, what could be one of our better fields. Chris, how excited are you to showcase the new venue of the Barracuda Championship? It's been at Montreux for years. Now it's shifting to Old Greenwood out in Truckee, a gorgeous golf course. How excited are you to, to showcase this course and this kind of new Barracuda Championship this year? We can't wait. Um, you know, this extra three weeks is going to give us, uh, give the uh, superintendent, Jason De Herrera a little more time to uh, grow the rough in, get the golf course in shape. No doubt he would have been prepared uh, for end of June, start of July, but now just kind of gives him, uh, you know, three or four weeks of prime growing season to really get the golf course in shape. And, and we're excited for the players to see it and, and thus also, uh, the viewers on Golf Channel. Tournament director of the Barracuda Championship, Chris Hoff, joining us right now. You know, Chris, we were joking a little bit before uh, we came on air, and we kind of have to laugh at some things sometimes because of everything we're all kind of dealing with right now. <laughs> Short, shortly after last year's tournament, you found out you were going to have to find a new venue, and you were very confident with that. But if I had told you that was going to be the easy part of this offseason, uh, <laughs> Uh, you probably would have punched me in the nose, but I mean, how, yeah. how unprecedented of a challenge has this been for you and your team to to keep you know keep keep the spirit alive, keep the uh, the morale up, and say no, we're still going to play golf. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that we've nobody's had to deal with, um, and we are certainly fortunate that um, we're we're still able to do the jobs that we have, and we have the jobs. Um, there's there's people going through far worse things uh, by far. We hope, uh, you know, when, when things do come back, you know, a, a golf tournament uh, will be a nice respite uh, for people. We can get sports back going, give people something to cheer for. And, and we look forward to that opportunity. Do you have any idea, you know, what changes are going to be made, uh, you know, for the tournament spectator wise, or will there be different rules in place when the, when the tour does return? 
So it's, it's my understanding that uh, more than likely when they return in June, uh, there, there won't be fans. Um, I don't believe that's been confirmed, but, but, I, but I believe that's the plan. Um, we are, uh, we're planning for multiple scenarios. Um, you know, an event with fans, perhaps limited fans, perhaps no fans. Um, we are all, uh, keeping in contact with local, regional, state level authorities when it comes to, um, obviously safe practices, uh, new edicts that have been, uh, put in place, um, to, to maintain the safety of, Everybody, players, caddies, volunteers, attendees, um, that's, that's by far number one priority. Um, so it, it's going to look different. Um, every tournament's going to look different that uh, people see for the foreseeable future just from a, uh, a build-out standpoint, um, things of that nature. So we're, uh, we're going down multiple paths, and it's good because it's keeping us busy. Chris, uh, I was talking about Old Greenwood earlier. Uh, for people that have never been out there, describe the, the golf course. What's it look like? How does it play? Uh, what, what can the golfers look forward to when they come out and play this golf course? You know, it's real similar to our, our former home. Um, it's a Nicholas design. Uh, it actually rates a little bit tougher. Um, we're going to play it at about 7,400 yards, part 71. We're going to take uh, – Number 10, which is a par five normally, we're gonna play that as a, a long par four. Um, the, the great thing about the golf course is it's incredibly walkable. Uh, you play and for 17 holes, you feel like you're on a flat golf course and then you get to 18 and it's kind of straight uphill and you have no idea how you got to that point as far as being so far downhill because it just doesn't feel like it. So. Uh, I think the caddies are going to thank us quite a bit because the, uh, the walk is, is much easier. Uh, beautiful views, uh, especially from behind 18 green, looking back towards uh, North Star. Uh, huge tall trees on, on every single hole. So uh, it's going to be something different uh, than what they're playing week in and week out. Not only our format, but also the, uh, the golf course. So I'm, I'm really excited for the guys to get out. Tournament director of the Barracuda Championship, Chris Hoff, joining us here on NSN Daily. Chris, one more thing before we let you go. Uh, all of our guests, we've been asking them, how have you kept your sanity? You know, we're all doing something completely different. The idea of working from home, not being able to uh, be with your team, be at the golf course, do that sort of things. For us, we're used to being on the sidelines. We're being used to being courtside at a baseball diamond. Um, how have you and your family gotten through this? Um... A lot of walks with the dog. That's, uh, that, that's for sure. That's keeping him happy. Um, and incredibly thankful that uh, YouTube and the Masters have, I believe, every single final round uh, available uh, to view on YouTube. So that's a, uh, that's a great time killer and kind of a little uh, breath of fresh air when we're going through all of this. Chris Hoff, we appreciate your time. I know, uh, I know you got three guys right here that uh, once this comes back around, we can't wait to be out on the golf course. And if you find any spots in a pro am, um, you know we're 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 always open. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it, guys. And uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Stay safe. Yeah, Old Greenwood is a great track. Can't wait to be out there for the Barracuda Championship, July twenty second through August second. Uh, Chris, BarracudaChampionship.com. is the, that still the website for people to get information? 
Yep. Uh, volunteer information, uh, tournament information, anything you need to know, barracudachampionship.com. All right, Chris Hoff, we appreciate your time. We'll have much more coming up here on NSN Daily right after this. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Joining us from Denver, Colorado, former NBA agent, now analyst, uh, Matt Babcock, uh, joining us from uh, Denver. Matt, you know, uh, when, when Wolfpack fans here in northern Nevada hear the word declared for draft, or three words declared for draft around here, it becomes kind of spooky because uh, this is not Duke, this is not Kentucky or Kansas, where you've got, you know, a stable of guys, especially coming off of what Jalen Harris's season was uh you know what do you think are the, his prospects you're pretty high on this guy yeah i like Jalen a lot you know he uh you know he had he had about as good a year individually as he possibly could have i mean really tore up tore up conference play and um, i saw him live at wyoming and i thought he was terrific i've watched all of his film um you know he's got great size he can play both guard spots i think his game you know can translate to the nba very well what do you think about his prospects just this year? I mean, I guess if you were advising him, if you were an agent, what would you tell him? Because it does seem like his stock, um, you know, maybe is a little bit lower than a lot of people who have put their names in. Yeah, you know, I mean, this year it's it's a it's a it's a screwy year, right? We we don't really know what to expect from the pre-draft process or when the NBA draft will even take place. Uh, so, you know, he would have been a guy that would have probably benefited from the traditional pre-draft process of having workouts, um, you know, exposure at the NBA Combine. Uh, even without, though, I, I think even though he's not getting quite as much like widespread media attention for the draft, um, people, NBA scouts that have seen him do like him. And so I think with there being, um, you know, sort of a, more of an emphasis to take a, a deeper dive on video, I've watched all the video. So if, if they haven't seen it yet, they're going to see some good stuff. And so I, he might climb, you know, w among NBA circles you know, more than we might realize. Matt, in your dozen years of, of being an NBA agent, when you're advising one of these young men and it, it's it's weird because a lot of these guys have uh, good people in their ears and sometimes they have bad people in their ears. You know, they have to get the right information. When you're hearing from an NBA team talking to one of your guys or talking about one of your guys, what are some of the magic words that you hear or maybe statements from a team, a franchise, maybe upper management that you go, you know what, you need to go. You need to make this jump because it's such a difficult decision and, and it's it's a scary one as well. Yeah, sure. I think it's, you know, the question's more of, you know, where, where do the priorities lie with each individual player? You know, certain players are different, you know, places in their career and their life. I mean, for Jalen, for example, uh, you know, he's a redshirt junior, you know, he's a little older. And so maybe he's kind of like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with school. You know, I, I don't want to be a student anymore. I want to be a pro basketball player. I want to, you know, master my craft and work on it day in, day out. And that's the only thing I'm focusing on. I, I don't know that to be the case, but uh, I, I have dealt with older players saying, hey, you know, I've, I've done everything I can on the college level it's time to move, you know, move to the next page, regardless of what my draft stock is. Um, you know, for a younger player, there's more upside, there's more room for growth, you know, to improve your stock. Uh, and a lot of times that's the narrative behind closed doors of, you know, what, what are the benefits of going back to school? And with Jalen, you know, maybe, maybe he has done everything he can, you know, personally to, to get himself to a point to play in the NBA. When I look at Jalen, I mean, I see an NBA player. You mentioned that size, the ability to play both guard positions. I mean, he seems like he could be a really good defender at the next level, can obviously score from all three levels. What do you like about his game that tell you, you know, this is a guy who is going to be an NBA player, not just a pro? Well, all those things for what, you know, he's great size. I mean, he does a little bit of everything. I mean, he scores all over the place. Um, you know, I think he's just as good off the ball as he is on the ball. 
Um, you know, so, you know, from an NBA standpoint, you can plug him into a lot of different depth charts, you know, if he were to develop properly, because you know, he, he can play with a lot of different players, he can play with a true point guard, he can play with a true shooting guard. Um, and so, you know, it's easier to justify a guy like that getting some minutes, you know, with, with different you know, rosters. Matt Babcock, former uh, NBA agent and now analyst uh, joining us from uh, Denver, Colorado right now. Um, Matt, when you look at the program at Nevada and where they've been able to return to what they saw in the mid-2000s, uh, losing a guy like Eric Musselman, who is such a big personality, he's on social media, he's dancing around, you see him doing the same thing at Arkansas now, and then the hire mm -hmm. of Steve Alford. When you saw Nevada went after Alford and, and made that financial commitment to a guy like him, what was your impression of the hire? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a big name. I mean, Alford, you know, is well known, obviously from his playing days and then obviously coaching too, he's been around. Um, you know, it seems like a good fit for for Nevada. You know, I mean, they, they've sort of put themselves in a situation where, I mean, they're they're the king of the Mountain West and, you know, they have had a lot of success with getting transfers. I mean, the last couple of years, you had the Martin Twins, uh, obviously with Harris, Harris this last year. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're, I think they're doing a good job and it seems like it's a, it's a steady program, even with Musselman's departure. Nevada has lost a lot of guys early entry, and I'm sure fans would love to see Jalen Harris come back for a senior season. If you look at Jalen Harris's game, where do you think he can get better? Where do you think he can potentially improve his stock? Or is it just maybe being on the radar a little bit more, entering the season, maybe making a run in a tournament and, and getting more people kind of interested in this game? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's one of those guys. I, I don't see any, like, glaring weaknesses in his game. That's one of the things I like about him. He's very well-rounded. And, and based on, like, the background I've done on him is that it, it's not for, uh, you know, no good reason. He, he puts time in in the gym. He takes his craft very seriously. He's very competitive. Uh, you know, so, I mean, like, any player coming out of college, just continuing to improve all, all the way around. You know, there's not – I don't think there's one thing with him. It's like, hey, this is, this is why he's not going to make it or, you know, or why he is going to make it. Matt, when, you, uh, when this really started to hit all of us as professionals in the sports industry, when you saw the players taken off the courts before an NBA game and, and it be, really became reality that this is going to shut everything down, how did that hit you and how do you think the NBA bounces back and, and recovers from this? Well, uh, you know, I'll give you a little story. So I, I was all set. I had my bags packed. I was going on a two-week trip. I was going to the Big East tournament and then to the Big Ten tournament. And then I was going to see where, you know, the NCAA tournament lined up and probably pick a game or two there. And uh, I, I scratched my my uh, my trip last minute. Um, and I thought it was maybe a little premature. And then obviously we saw it all unfolded those two days and uh, just really dramatic. And uh, I think the NBA did a good job considering, that, I mean, this is this is a unique situation. And um, you know, they, they were responsible and kind of got ahead of it, it seemed like. Um, as far as getting back, I know they're doing everything they possibly can, um, you know, to, to finish out this season. I, I just I, – I really don't have a good answer for you. We're all kind of in a wait-and-see mode, and no, nobody's dealt with anything like this before. It is pretty crazy. How do you think it's going to impact the pre-draft process? Would you guess that there's going to be a combine? Will you guess that there will ever be a point where individual workouts will take places with teams, or do you think it's just going to be – you know, doing video chats and just looking at the film, which I think for Jalen would, you know, benefit him a lot just if people go back and look at that film because it is very, very good. Sure. Again, I mean, there's so much uncertainty. I mean, we're, we're you know, it seems like the narrative's changing a little bit each day. Um, you know, as of now, it's sounding like the NBA teams are pushing for the draft to be pushed back, even if they don't play. Um, in that case, I would hope there'd be some kind of combine. Uh, even if it's just a deal of getting all the players together so they could do their, their physicals and get some medical information, because that's a big question we all have right now is our NBA teams going, going into the draft without medical information. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a tall task to ask an owner to, you know, guarantee millions of dollars uh, to a player. And you, you don't know if he's banged up or not. And uh, it, 
again, so many questions. We're, you know, I'm kind of in the same, same chair as you guys, just waiting to see how it unfolds. Yeah, I think it, it would be unfair for both sides to not be able to have a combine, be able to physically come up and see a player, talk to a player, see these players, maybe that are, are mid-major players going head-to-head with Power 5 players and so they can prove to themselves. And so many NBA teams are throwing so much money at this, I really think it would be unfair. And, and I mean, the video chat is a good thing. You can kind of get to see somebody, see their body language and talk to them. But unless you talk to a player or a player gets to talk to management face-to-face, sit down in a room and chat, even go to lunch or whatever it is, nothing replaces that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing, it is fair playing ground. You know, I mean, everybody's sort of dealing with the same thing. And I'm not as concerned with the, the in-person meetings uh, or even the workouts for that matter. Uh, I, I do think medicals, medical information is vital for a team making a good decision. Um, you know, and then, you know, some of these players that, you know, may have not had quite as much exposure. I think the live play at the Combine, that's where Jalen, I think, could, could have probably moved up quite a bit going there and, and you know, kicking butt. Um, that, that would you know, make a big impression. And individual workouts, I, I, you know, sometimes it helps guys. Sometimes it's just sort of, sort of for show. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Do you think the calculus has changed on whether people go to the draft uh, now versus maybe five to ten years ago? I mean, obviously, like you said, it's player by player, individual base. But it seems like if you're a second-round pick nowadays, you're going to get a guaranteed contract. You're going to get on the 15-man roster. Whereas before, it seemed like if you're not in the first round, you're taking a chance. It just seems like if you're drafted now, they're going to give you a couple of years to figure out whether you're an NBA player. Sure. You know, I mean, I think with like the development of the G league as well, that there's different, there's different routes to get in the NBA. I mean, there's more opportunities to claw your way in than, than there used to be. When I first started as an agent, uh, if you went undrafted, I mean, it was very hard to get in and you really had a decision of, okay, we're probably not going to go to training camp because that's no guaranteed money. We probably need to go to overseas. And you kind of only have summer league each year to kind of you know, have your tryout, take another step in the NBA. Now you've got the G League, you've got two-way contracts, you've got affiliate player deals. Um, there's a lot more opportunities for success in the NBA, even for a guy that goes undrafted. So, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's easier for a younger kid to come out. I think there's a little bit less risk than there was before. Former NBA agent and now analyst Matt Babcock joining us from – from Denver, Colorado, in uh, his fortress of solitude. Matt, stay safe, and uh, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll all get through this together. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. We'll have much more coming up here on NSN Daily right after this. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Alex Margulies and Chris Murray joined by Reno Aces and Arizona Diamondbacks outfielder Tim LoCastro. And, uh, Tim, we were just talking, man uh, – you guys are just chomping at the bit just to get out there and play some baseball games. You're still in Arizona. How are you passing the time right now? Yeah, I mean, a bunch of us are still out here. We're working out. We're, uh, we're preparing. We're going to have a season eventually. But uh, like I was telling you guys, uncharted waters, none of the veteran guys, none of the coaches, none of the rookies, no one really knows how to handle this. So we're all just staying in shape, working out, and, uh, hitting, and we're going to be ready to go when it's time. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there is going to be a season. It sounds like you might be able to get maybe a two-week spring training period, but how are you trying to stay as sharp as possible? Because you guys aren't going to have a ton of time to get ready for the season when it's kind of green light. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think a bunch of us are going back into sort of off-season mode where we're lifting a little more and we're, uh, we toned it down on the baseball activity just because we don't know when exactly we're going to start back up. But uh, I think everybody's been hit and throwing. But uh, we got to be ready whenever and whenever because it could happen tomorrow, it could happen in a week, it could happen in a month, but we'll be ready. You know, a lot of people obviously are passing the time playing video games right now, trying to do something. It was passed along to me by Jake from the Aces that you're actually rated 99 
and MLB The Show for Speed. Did you know that, A, and do you think that's, that's accurate? I, I did hear that. Uh, I think it is accurate. Uh, I, I have Xbox, so I haven't played with myself yet, but uh, a bunch of my friends have said they've been stealing base with me nonstop, so hopefully I can keep that 99 up, and maybe they'll get 100 if I continue it this next year. <laughs> It definitely deserves at least a 99. You're what? You're 22 uh, out of 22 in stealing bases at the big league level. You haven't been caught yeah, yet. Knock, knock on wood, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you get shocked yeah. when somebody does throw you out? Because even your minor league numbers with steals is just incredible. Uh, I, I think that's one of the big things in uh, stealing bases. You have to have confidence. So, I mean, I'm just confident when I get on the base. I mean, when I first got drafted by the Blue Jays, our base running coach was Tim Raines, who was one of the best to do it. So I learned from pretty good people. And then even when I was with the Dodgers, I learned from uh, Brock, and he was great. And even with the Diamondbacks, we have uh, Dave McKay, who's one of the best first base coaches, if not the best first base coach. So I've learned from a lot of great people and coaches, and uh, I'm just helping learn more from them. What would you say is, is, the, is the biggest key, if there is one big key, to being a really successful base stealer? Is there a technique? Is there a positioning? And what's the most important thing in your mind? I think, like I just said, it's the confidence. I don't think you even need to have elite speed to steal bases. I think if you're able to look at pitches, look at pitchers and look at some of their cues, then if you're not as fast as some people, then you can steal a lot of bases. And I think that's the key is being confident and really learning from the pitchers and making yourself very successful. So that's one MLB record. You actually have a second one. So you've been hit by the most pitches of any player uh, with 300 or more plate appearances on percentage of your at-bats. So 8.8% of your at-bats at the big league level, you've been wow. hit by a pitch. What does it feel like to get hit by a fastball going 95 miles an hour? And what, what was the hit by pitch that hurt you the most? Uh, well, it definitely doesn't feel good, but you're, you get on base. I mean, your adrenaline gets going. Then once you're on base, I, I can use it to my advantage and try to steal a base and score a run. I mean, that's the name of the game, scoring more runs than the other team. So, I mean, if I get on, you get hit by a pitch, getting hit, reaching out of the air, I mean, I'm going to use it to my advantage. What did it mean to you last year really getting some meaningful playing time in the major leagues? I mean, the year before you had about 18 games with the Dodgers. Last year you had over 200 at-bats. You hit 250. Did you feel like you were finally starting to get some momentum in your career? Like, okay, I can, I can do this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, baseball is baseball once you get in between the lines. But I mean, I think the big thing is getting comfortable around the guys, especially I've been traded a few times and you got to meet a lot of new people, new coaches. So being able to get comfortable is one of the key things for baseball. You kind of have an unusual path too. I mean, you were uh, growing up in upstate New York, obviously a lot of snow in that area, played for yeah. college. That's not necessarily a college that sends a lot of guys to the big leagues. When you did make it to the majors, it's the first time for that school since 1985. What, what do you think uh, has been special about your path, and why do you think you've been able to persevere through it and get to the big leagues in a you know pretty rare kind of style? Yeah, I think that goes to everybody that I've come up with, my coaches, my friends, my family. I mean, without them, I wouldn't be where I am. And I think that was one of the big things at Ithaca was my coaches, they were in the minor leagues, they experienced a little, and they were able to give me some information and tips to sort of help me when I was in the lower levels. And still to this day, I talk to them, I talk to all my former teammates. So, I mean, without them and my family, the support from everybody, it wouldn't be possible. You had three walk-off hits last year. Uh, take me into – what it's like to be in that position. I mean, I think everyone, every fan wants to know what it's like to be the guy that gets the jersey ripped off of him and, and just has that moment. I mean, what was that like for you at the major league level to be able to do that? I mean, those are the moments you dream about when you're a kid. I mean, even if it's a regular season game in June, but it doesn't matter. I mean, those are the moments you want to help your team win. And that that's the name of the game. And that's your goal every time. But to end the game, it's pretty cool. I mean, 
I think the coolest one, I mean, all, all of them are cool, no doubt. The first one was cool because I hadn't been up a lot and it was sort of welcome to the team moment. And then the last one was the last game of the year. So it was a walk off on the season. I mean, that, that was just incredible, but that's the sort of thing you sort of want to build momentum coming into this year. And even though we're delayed a little bit, I mean, we're going to get, once we get going, we're going to get the ball rolling. I know everybody's, uh, they, they want to play at the big league level. What did you enjoy about playing with the Aces for a portion of last season? What did you like about Northern Nevada and just the opportunity with the, the Diamondbacks at that level? Yeah, I mean, I think the coolest thing about that is everybody in AAA and at Reno, they're all at the same goal to help Reno win games and then to get to the big leagues. And everybody there, the coaching staff, it was just a close-knit group. And I think that's uh, special, especially in the minor leagues when you can be comfortable around everybody. What's it like to be a teammate with Kevin Crone, man? That guy hit 38 home runs in Reno last year. If he played a full season, he, he would probably would have hit at least 50. Uh, he hit 45 between their lower level and then going to the major leagues. I mean, how, how good of a hitter is this guy? Elite. Absolutely elite. I mean, I'm going to hit with him in 10 minutes, but uh, I can't – his bat in practice. Have you guys ever seen his bat in practice? He puts balls literally <laughs> out of the stadiums at – it doesn't matter where you are. The balls are going out of the stadium. He, he puts balls in rare air. I mean, it's special to watch him hit, but uh, his work ethic and how hard he works, I mean, he deserves it, and he's very good at what he does. Let's not sell you short. I mean, you had eight home runs in 31 games with uh, with Reno. I mean, you pro you prorate that over a season. That's a 30-home run campaign. I mean, not known for that, but you had some pop in your bat last year. Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the things that I'm still continuing to work on, and hopefully it'll translate in the major leagues. I mean, Hopefully I can learn from Kevin a little bit. I mean, he's prolific at what he does, and that's why we're going to hit with it. It's actually me, Kevin, and Rojas, so all the guys from AAA are going to go hit right now. <laughs> so we got a couple of uh, classic Aces games from last year that we're going to play this week here on Nevada Sports. And the first one on Thursday is going to be the game last year when you guys scored nine runs in the ninth inning, including a grand slam from Andrew Applin. You guys won 14-13. to 13. It was one of the craziest comebacks in baseball history – what was it like to be a part of that? And when did you feel like, all right, maybe we could actually do this? Because this is just insane right now. I mean, I remember that game. We sort of bat around a little bit. And we're like, okay. And then when the bases got loaded and he came to the plate, you sort of felt like it was destiny. But the fact that he had a grand slam, I mean, I thought it was going to be a single, a double, another single to win the game. But he had a grand slam down my three. I mean, it, that was crazy. Like you said, that was definitely one of the craziest and biggest comebacks in baseball history. It was pretty cool. You've obviously had a little bit of free time on your hands. Are you doing anything out of the ordinary, trying to pick up a new hobby, binge-watching something different? I mean, usually this um, is the time of the season, but I'm sure you, you got a little more free time than usual. Netflix, I'm watching Ozark right now. I'm on season three. Uh, I've been playing a lot more video games, Call of Duty and NBA 2K. Like I said, I don't have the show because I have Xbox. Uh, I, I've actually read a little bit, which I rarely ever do. <laughs> uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the Nike company. So, I mean – you know, you got some free time. You got to take advantage of it. I mean, I feel bad when I'm watching Netflix and playing video games, so I had to get some reading in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, uh, we really appreciate you stopping by today. Good luck down there when the season does get started. We'll be rooting for you. And hopefully, as much as we like seeing you in Reno, we hope to not see you in Reno this year because that means you're playing in the big leagues. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll have more of NSN Daily coming up just after a quick break. And a reminder, you can catch Aces games Thursdays and Saturdays here as we uh, fill up some time here while the season hasn't gotten started. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Bet or no bet airs every single Thursday where we pick out 
uh, sporting events, something in life, and would the guys bet on it or not? Uh, let's go with first. The PGA Tour is kind of, I don't know, taking the lead is the best way to say it, but you can see how they're very, very optimistic about getting some of their season in. And they're talking, guys, that PGA Tour wants to get rolling in June. Um, we've already seen Governor Cuomo of New York say they're shutting down the state until mid-May. Chris, better no bet. Will we see the PGA Tour playing in June? I'll go bet. I think they're going to push forward with it. I mean, if there's a sport that's kind of catered to being able to social distance and play at the same time, it's this sport. I don't think you're going to see fans or anything like that. As long as they can safely travel, uh, you know, you're going to have a caddy situation. I think a lot of it just comes down to testing. If you can test quickly enough and, you know, know if you have the disease or not and can quarantine that person, then it's not that much of a stretch to think that golf could be back in June. I think it is very tentative, though. I would put it in pencil for sure. I know they have a plan and they put out a schedule, and that's smart to think forward. Um, but one little thing could lead to a domino effect where all of these tournaments and uh, events are canceled. So I'm going to bet. I think they will be back on the course in June just without fans. Alex, your bet on this? Yeah, I'll go bet too. And I, I think with Chris, what Chris says, the important part of it is no fans. You're not going to see big crowds of people walking around. Um, you know, they get one interesting thing you're going to see at a lot of these golf courses, like you mentioned, Brian, is there's going to be different states that are going to have different kind of lockdown rules. I mean, what's California saying? What's the Bay Area? You know, with Harding Park, you know, supposed to host an event this summer that they've pushed back now in the fall. I mean, are they, is that going to happen? Uh, you know, the, the, the mayor down in L.A. was saying that most likely events are not going to take place until 2021. So I think it's just going to depend on each area. But I think the PGA Tour in some fashion by June, I think they'll give it a shot and see what they can do and, and hope that, you know, they don't have any kind of, uh, you know, outbreak, I guess you could say, within their own little circle. They can kind of keep it tight and, and uh, you know, it'd be an awesome thing to have if they, if they can put it on TV and, and give something for it to people to watch and give us some sports. Yes, something fresh. Uh, one minute for our last one here, better no bet. Uh, Copa Vorgur, and I'm probably saying that horribly in Iceland. It's a suburb of uh, Reykjavik, which is the capital there, which is still a very small city. Um, folks there every single night are doing dance parties outside in the streets. Some of them are social distancing. They're just trying to lighten the mood. Is this a good idea or not, guys? Better no bet. You know, Iceland's a very interesting case. It's only like 350,000 people. They've actually had a pretty decent containment of what they have. They've had a really good testing situation. So, uh, you know, I, I've been to Iceland. It's a really neat country. I'll go bet. I haven't seen the exact video you're talking about, uh, but I'll go bet. I'll bet as long as we can send Julian out there. He's clearly the best dancer of the NSN group. We've seen the videos before. Uh, uh, we just like to include us with Iceland. We can send him uh, as a uh, and he can go out. I can't support that. I'm going to go no bet on him being the best. Rez would take exception to that, I think. The, be the best dancer in the group is by far Rez uh, on the male side. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, no bet when it comes to uh, Julian being the best dancer. We just lost any credibility we had uh, <laughs> over the last year, a half, almost two years. Uh, coming up next on the NSN Daily, something fun for Friday. We're going to promote and tell you how we're adjusting and shaking things up here on the show. Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily. And, you know, uh, we've been really proud of being able to keep this product rolling and, and uh, continue to provide information, inside interviews, and just some fun in uh, in and what everybody, we're all kind of going through as, as a team, as a group here in our community. But um, you know what? When the brain juices get going, you ought to be a part of our Zoom interviews as viewers because it is hilarious because we get off of the subject highway onto the tangent off-ramp, and then suddenly we are in Ideaville, and it really happened this week. Al, tell people what we're going to do on Friday, what we're going to launch. This is going to be fun. 
Yeah, so we're basically, we figure out a way where Zoom can stream on Facebook Live and we're going to start an NSN game show. So eventually we'll involve some viewers and we'll have the details on that later. But our first game show, which will be Friday at noon, you can watch it on our Facebook page on Facebook Live. It is finally the time for the Minister of Culture quiz. This is something we've been finally. talking about for months. Uh, if those of you don't know, Julian basically made the claims uh, a few months back that he deserved an official title change within the company to Minister of Culture. Uh, despite the ridicule from his coworkers and his peers, he trudged on and his Twitter bio even says Minister of Culture. So Chris had a great suggestion of a 20 question trivia pursuit style quiz to, to kind of let Julian prove himself that he should be Minister of Culture. So we have invited, it's gonna be him against John Ramey, the voice of the Wolfpack, uh, a cunning linguist, a guy that is a very cultural himself, I feel like would be a very formidable opponent. We needed to have somebody kind of go against Julian, so we'll pit those two together in our NSN game show. Uh, Chris will, will serve as Alex Trebek and uh, offer the questions. We hope you guys can tune in on Facebook Live at noon. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see that, Chris. Yeah, it's going to be great. I, I created those questions probably like two months ago. I, I swapped some new ones in yesterday. I'm trying to make it as even as possible. Both competitors have their strengths. Uh, I'm not sure what Julian's is, but I'm sure he has some strengths. Uh, so we'll see how that all turns out. And we're going to add a lot of cool stuff to our website as well. Obviously, it's mostly been sports, almost all sports since we launched it. But with fewer sports, we're actually going to be doing some other stuff uh, on Mondays. Jenna Holland's going to be writing kind of a travel blog. Uh, on Tuesdays, Alex will be doing a takeout Tuesday featuring a local restaurant that you can go and maybe get some pickup food from. He's also going to be writing uh, Exploring Our Backyard Thursday, so you can get ready for the weekend with some kind of adventure he can throw out there. Uh, Wednesdays, Shannon Kelly's going to be working on a wine Wednesday, so she's going to meet up with some wives of Wolfpack coaches and just have a chat. Then on Fridays, Julian Delgadio will have his film Friday review. Uh, so we'll have a, a cool little non-sports uh, feature on uh, every day of the website. Uh, as we go through this and you know we're, that's what we're trying to do is kind of uh, you know build uh, our website into a little bit more of a lifestyle site as well it's still going to be a majority of sports you're not going to lose your sports uh, but if you're into films if you're into food if you're into exploring if you're into travel uh, if you're into wine we're going to have that stuff for you too starting next week yeah I'm going to delve into my box of credentials over the last 25 years of covering sports uh, across the country and we're going to do a thing called Credential Confidential and uh, take you on the road with us, whether it's me and Alex or me and, and, and whoever, and uh, kind of give you hey a Hey, man, just, just don't mention the sushi place in New Orleans, okay? <laughs> that, that will not. Uh, there, I don't know how many stories from the New Orleans Bowl we'll make here. I, I, I'm not sure about that, but uh, that's going to come up very, very soon. Starting on Friday right here on NSN Daily, just check us out on Facebook at noon tomorrow. you got to be part of the – uh, yeah, the Minister of Culture Challenge, which has been issued between John Ramey and Julian Delgadio. Thanks, everybody, for being with us on a Thursday. For Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, and Anthony Resnick, I'm Brian Samudio. We'll see you on Friday.